Welcome to Our Next Existence by Katie and the Chorus. I'm Katie, former technology strategist turned reluctant spiritual medium, and I channel messages from the Chorus, a group of beings just beyond our sensory perceptions who are loving, expansive, and who greatly enjoy sharing their perspective of us. Join us each week as we share and discuss their ideas about humanity's existence, purpose, and future. Concepts you can draw from to accelerate your path, expand your perceptions, and ultimately step into the flow of the universe and your life. Welcome, everyone. All right, so the point of this episode is to be the sample or the preview for the audiobook of book two, The Book of Human Remembrance. So I'm going to kind of curtail my rambling here at the front (laughs) so we can just get to it. If you're new here, welcome. The way it works is that season one corresponds to book one from the chorus, The Book of Human Awakening. Season two corresponds to book two, which is now available. The topics and some of the stories that I share in the books are different than what's covered in the podcast episodes, though they do relate. And this is even more true in the second book. There are stories or explanations of things I went through that I talk about in the book that I don't in the podcast. They kind of go together and round each other out a little bit. There's a few notes that I wanted to make about book two before we jump in. The first is that book two is available in audiobook, just like the first book, as well as paperback and ebook. And I do think there's something powerful about listening to it. I channel the chorus as I'm reading the chorus sections. I also channel the Federation for the very first time in this book. Uh, They did not appear in the first book. And I've had some readers report to me that they have a very strong response to the Federation section. If you have that kind of experience, I'd recommend maybe also listening to that section. I think it smooths out the connection or deepens the connection. I'm not really sure how it works, (laughs) but I feel called to maybe suggest that if you're feeling some things, you might want to listen to those channeled pieces. Second, there are illustrations in this book, just like in the first book. I believe there's 30 or more in this book. If you are an audiobook listener, there is a chapter called Illustrations with a URL, which you can go to to download a PDF of the illustrations so you can still see them even if you're an audiobook purchaser. Point 2B related to the illustrations is that per reader request, we have made the Book of Human Remembrance in a larger print size and are also launching a second edition of the Book of Human Awakening to match. Our readers requested that the illustrations be bigger, so now both books are available in a larger print size, and as part of the launch of the second edition of the Book of Human Awakening, we have also added in a new illustration that came through when I was writing the Book of Human Awakening but didn't make the editorial cut at that time. So if you are looking to buy the Book of Human Awakening along with Remembrance, just look for the second edition. It should say it in the title or in the book description. And you'll find links to both of these books in the episode notes. Third, for those who listened to the first season of the podcast, you probably remember some of my stories about my aerospace job and my aerospace boss. Well, he actually wrote the introduction to book two. So you will get to hear from Drew in his own words about his experience of 
knowing me through this process and also experiencing the chorus himself. Drew has actually listened to all the podcast episodes and read the first book and of course read the draft manuscript of the second book and then agreed to write the introduction to it. So I have not read all channeled works, but I would say that this is perhaps the only one or one of a very few that have an introduction written to them by a former aerospace executive. And I think it's pretty cool that he comes from an industry or maybe a domain that would perhaps be known for having a lot of stigma towards something like this. And not only is he the kind of person that was open to it, but once it resonated with him, was willing to put his name on it as part of the production of this second book. I think it's pretty incredible that that's where we are today. That we can take leaders from science and aerospace and channels like me and we can come together and create things. So I hope you enjoy it. If you do, please consider leaving a review on Amazon. Reviews help others to find the work of the course. And now the audio preview for the Book of Human Remembrance. The Book of Human Remembrance. How we find belonging in an infinite universe of unlimited time. Written by Katie and the Chorus. Narrated by Katie Weiss. For all who are remembering, and for all who continue to forget, only time is enough to divide us until our hearts awaken and reconnect. Introduction Welcome to the Book of Human Remembrance, the second book from Katie and the Chorus. This book is nominally about time and memory. It's also about a great deal more. What, after all, does time mean? And does it have to mean the same things to you that it does to anyone else? We humans use the designator time to refer to many dissimilar things, like an appointment, an era, a requirement, or a reason. Time can be specific or as vague as vague can be. Time is endless and unknowable, capable of being infinitely parsed or aggregated. It is, as you will see here, a construct of our beliefs and manifestations. Here the authors challenge us to think more broadly and expansively about time and an important adjunct, memory. They ask us to consider what time represents to us and why. This book doesn't dwell upon definitions and specificity, a good thing too, because either are sure ways to make time seem boring and limit its expansive potential. Prepare for a journey through, in, and about time that will challenge you. It will spark realizations and might even spur manifestations at odd hours of the night. At the very least, it will encourage you to consider time and memory in new and expansive ways. The authors don't assume that you've encountered their first book, The Book of Human Awakening, or listened to their podcast, Our Next Existence, but if you have, You've already been introduced to the Chorus's perspectives on time as one of the three engines of reality and a key driver of humanity's consensual belief system. Regardless, prepare for expansion. When Katie told me that she and the Chorus were writing a book about time, I was immediately intrigued. I've always been more than a bit obsessed with time. When I was very young, 
I became a voracious seeker of new worlds and narratives. From about seven or eight years of age, I dove into the seemingly limitless sea of science fiction. I wanted to know all the worlds and times and their inhabitants and stories. My search continues to this day. Early in my professional career, I worked as an orbit mechanic, finding better ways to reach the moon and outer planets. This is primarily a balance between time and energy. How much and how long must I accelerate in just the right direction in order to reach my destination after the desired duration? From that perspective, our solar system seemed almost limitlessly expansive. But from the perspective of the authors here, our solar system is an extremely limited slice of a vaster, infinite whole. How can this be? How can what we consider to be the infinite reaches of space and time also be, in fact, so limited? We have both dogma and belief tied up in this thing we label time. It is simultaneously minutely defined atomic clocks and also completely subjective and vague. It's time for dinner. Our messy, imprecise language provides feeble means for contemplation or discussion of the complex subject we call time. Over time, I developed a broader friendship with the ideas of time and space, in part based on personal observations. One of my favorite time-related observations is that traveling to a new place for the first time seems to take much longer than subsequent trips. I have found this to be true on many occasions and encountered others who feel the same. I also found that traveling to a new place often means arriving in a new city or country after dark, and the first morning seems like awakening to a new world where mysterious, uninformed expectation gradually fades to meet reality. It's one of my favorite things. A final personal observation is that my best creative work cannot be rushed, even by a deadline. I have learned that it will arrive when it should, and that rushing won't hasten the process of inspiration. Consequently, I like the fact that we are so sloppy about time. It sure makes things more interesting. And so it was that for most of my life, the subject of time seemed to be a nice safe place for idle speculation and daydreaming. Like most of us, I didn't really think it meant much. Until Katie and the chorus introduced their perspectives on time. Now, Katie was, I had thought, pretty well known to me. I knew her as a colleague and a friend, but I had no idea the depth and breadth of the unique journey she was undertaking. Through the years, we'd been co-creators of unusual constructs, including making aerospace business things up, think Star Trek meets Silicon Valley. We had discussed time in a number of contexts, but little did I know that Katie was having parallel conversations on the topic and I had no idea of the expansive nature of those experiences. When Katie became ill, I was sad and confused. I was going through my own significant transition during this time, failed retirement number one, and so her battles occurred out of my sight. When we met for coffee during that illness, it was painful to watch her struggle. Another year or so passed, we met again, and she seemed completely different. As we talked, I learned why. That's when she introduced me to her journey with the chorus. Through our conversations and later through the Book of Human Awakening and the Our Next Existence podcast, I began to become acquainted with the chorus's perspectives on many things and especially on my old friend, Time. 
This book and these concepts are not going to replace your current thoughts on time, as slim or full as they might be. Instead, Katie and the Chorus endeavor to give us permission and agency to think more broadly about time and the other engines of reality they describe, to follow our own personal journeys to our more expanded selves. My suggestions for getting the most out of this book are mostly about tone, not substance. React to the messages in their own times and ways, without imposing your own structure or process as a reader. Don't worry about trying to place these concepts in your current reality. Let the messages speak to you and allow organization to worry about itself. Try to leave judgment behind. These messages may make you feel uncomfortable, at a loss, or maybe affirmed. Just let it happen. In reading, I find that questions that come to mind and which might interrupt my experience of flow are usually dealt with by the chorus in their own time. <laughs> so don't worry about what the messages provoke. Allow your reactions to happen as they will. Let the journey pace itself. The Book of Human Remembrance is intended, as are all the communications from the chorus that I've encountered, to help us grow and expand. This is a different, deeply personal experience for each one of us who sets out on the journey. As the chorus tells us, this doesn't require the voyager to abandon reality, personality, sense of self, or even preconceptions about time and memory. It simply requires an opening of consciousness to the possibilities of a broader, richer, more expansive reality. Time plays a key role in shaping and restricting our reality. It's time to consider the associated barriers that we have chosen with what the chorus calls our belief system complex. To open ourselves to the opportunities for greater experience by exercising imagination and inspiration and loosening the blindfold we have worn for so long. Welcome to this phase of your journey. Katie and the chorus are capable guides for this voyage. By finding your way to this book, and the other messages they provide, you have the opportunity to accelerate your quest for awakening and expansion. Enjoy! Drew Crouch, Katie's former aerospace boss. Heavy construction, technology startups, orbit mechanic, and aerospace executive. From concrete and rebar to the stars. Let us continue. In the beginning, you were not as limited as you are today. Your resonance with these frequencies of limitation was gradual and loving, until such time as you arrived here, at your point of greatest limitation among these energies. It is from this point that you have chosen to awaken, that is, to have the experience of consciously expanding from this limitation. All who resonate with these words are expanding, are awakening. All who are capable of perceiving these words, hearing about these words, having a conversation with a friend about their experience of these words, or are in any way manifesting the slightest touch of these concepts, any of these concepts, is awakening. There is nothing you need to do. There is nothing you need accomplish 
reconcile, or complete. There is no one who needs to be saved or convinced of these concepts. In fact, simply by your thinking of others in connection to these expansive frequencies, you have demonstrated their resonance, their ability to join you on these wavelengths. Rejoice, beloved, for here there is only love and ease, effortlessness and inspiration. Those sensations of stepping into your powerful flow and all that is brought to you by that force. To feel your intuitions, to embrace your own desires, to awaken to all that you already are and have been all along. And to remember, most of all, to remember. Part 1 the structure of disconnection. What is a memory? As we described in the first book, we would suggest that you believe a memory is a mental recollection of a time and place already experienced by your mind-body instrument, one that is at a prior point on your concept of a linear timeline. By way of being on this timeline, a prior, that time and place is unreachable except by the bridge of memory, the storage bank of the mind. Moreover, memory seems just ever so slightly outside your conscious control. You do not often choose which memories to recall in a given instant. Instead, they crop up of their own accord. Sometimes those memories are related to something you are experiencing in the present moment. Sometimes the connection is difficult to pin down. Why am I thinking about that coworker I only interacted with a handful of times years ago? You might ask. Why do I keep recalling that movie that is stuck in my head? I always remember my childhood holidays this time of year. An example like the latter might feel the most innocuous, for who is not reminded of related experiences when they are hearing, touching, or seeing similar stimuli via the five senses? or when you are recalling memories which seem to have an emotional charge, as you would say, which are believed to be more easily remembered because of the emotion they carry. Seems pretty standard, does it not? Except, of course, for all the great lengths of your history, when it wasn't. Chapter 1. Meaning Let us refresh ourselves on a few concepts before we dig in. As we discussed in the first book, you chose to resonate with the wavelengths of finiteness and insufficiency in order to have a most powerful experience of what we call disallowance of energy. Your perception of the vast varieties of disallowance of energy that you experience here is what you call emotions. The primary manifestation of these frequencies the foundation of the experience that you consciously know and remember is what we call the belief system complex, or BSC. The BSC is a vast and dynamic collection of beliefs, galactic in scale, that molds the energy here received into more and powerful experiences of limitation. It is in this belief system complex that you find vast regions of beliefs you might label time, distance, and body, what we call the fundamental engines of your reality. 
It is possible to experience existence without these constraints, and there are many who do. However, in order to experience limitation, you chose to narrow your conscious perception away from a great many things, not least of which the idea that there could be any other kind of existence than what you live here. All players of your game, for we greatly enjoy your game analogy for many of these concepts, are 100% connected to all the beliefs that dictate the rules of your game. Meaning, there are players you have not yet perceived or do not consciously remember perceiving who only play by part of the rules. All beings, all consciousnesses are required by the structure of the game to be as limited as you are. To be otherwise would violate the belief systems that are the driver of your experience here. Thus, your consciousness, that larger you, was limited to the confines of a body, in a time and space that narrowed all the wonders of the infinite universe down to what could be perceived by what you call your five senses. Thus, we have named this particular game board, which is both a starting point and an ending point, the five senses, BSC. By way of your perception through these five senses, you activate limiting beliefs billions of times per second. These beliefs dictate acceptable perspectives and responses according to the rules of the game. Consciously, you are unaware of this action as it was what you wanted to experience. Your judgments tell you billions of times per second to be afraid, joyful, concerned, pleased, preventative, protective, engaging, avoiding, etc., largely without your conscious say-so. Your chosen action or response then builds even more beliefs, typically limiting in nature, to reinforce the structure of the game against the incoming pure flow of energy that would otherwise grant you all that you wish in an instant. The experience you have created here is colossal, impenetrable, perfect, and powerful. It is your legacy to the galaxies. There are a great many here who continue to benefit from this most incredible experience of limitation. And, beloved, long after your awakening, there will be others who continue to do so. As you grow in your conscious awareness of energies, you will be able to more readily sense this of them. You will move from five senses perceptions of another's suffering and your judgments of it, typically to stop it, thus energizing it, to a more energetic awareness of their being and their choice. More importantly, you will be in a place of being able to perceive this about yourselves. Thus, we have reviewed many of the key concepts. By this explanation, this depiction of your reality, which is the way you perceive energy, how else might a memory be defined? As we suggested in the first book, from our perspective, a memory is a momentary expansion of your consciousness to the point of being able to perceive two frequencies at once. The present, in which you are walking, talking, or otherwise doing things, and the past, the sense of the event that already occurred. You have labeled these two frequencies, past and present, then and now. We, who do not share in your concept of linear time, 
might simply call them frequency A and frequency B. Without your idea of a linear timeline to which to append them, these frequencies do not mean the same thing to us. Which brings up an important question. What, then, is meaning? According to your five senses assessment of meaning, you might readily acknowledge that meaning is a byproduct of your beliefs. Were you to take two people from different backgrounds and different countries, with different attitudes and senses of control, and put them through the same experience, it is logical that they may come out of that experience feeling completely differently about it. We might suggest the difference you sense between them, which you attribute to a variety of categories and root causes, is in essence their differences in individual beliefs. What then is meaning energetically? Can you have a meaning without beliefs? Good question. There could not be a more important topic than what we are exploring here. For before you begin to remember all sorts of things about your past, you must first assess your process of applying meaning and how that works in order to navigate this process consciously. When you remember that you were a destroyer of a great many things, what will that mean to you? How will that change your own meaning of who you are, your identity? When you remember lifetimes where you had a great deal more access to knowledge, light, and clarity than you do now, how will that transform what this lifetime means to you? It is only recently that humans have begun to contemplate, to dialogue with each other even, about the meaning of life events, discoveries, relationships, and so much more. Why do you feel the way you do about these things? How is it that you might feel one way about an event, but after some time or other expansive life experiences, that meaning may change? I used to think my divorce was the end of the world, but now I realize how truly unhappy I was. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. For years, I was really angry at my parents, but now I see that they were just doing the best they could. I used to really trust her, but after she did that to me, I can't stand to be around her. Same event, relationship, or person, but in each of these examples, the perspective of that collection of manifestations is deemed to mean different things, from disaster to release, from anger to appreciation, from trust to disgust. You believe different things and the present meaning changes. But why? What happened long before these frequencies trickled down into thought form? We will explain this to you. But first, we must describe a little bit more about how you connect to and navigate energy for that explanation to make sense. Chapter 2. Consensus-Driven Reality in the beginning of this experience, you were not as entangled with each other as you are today. That is to say, as we suggested towards the end of the first book, all participants of this particular set of group beliefs remain largely in step with each other. You have chosen to participate in a consensus-driven reality. For example, if your group consensus believes that weeks to months are required to build a house, resource and energy requirements being what they are, you do not experience otherwise. 
You cannot build a house in seconds. For every belief there is, as you would see it, a little wiggle room. For example, by bringing in a great team of people who work around the clock, you could cut down that build time from months to a few weeks. Of course, by bringing in those people, you've simply worked within the constraints and beliefs about required expenditures of energy to make something in your environment. So, from our vantage point, you don't wiggle much. We see far more methods and ways of creating an abode, existing in an abode, whether or not you need an abode, etc. Yet among your kind, there is a belief in shelter that you are subject to as well. You all have been building shelter for yourselves for a very long time. As we mentioned previously, each player in your game activates and creates beliefs billions of times per second. This process is unconscious to all game players, else it would violate the focused experience of limitation. Most of their lives here, players are unconscious of all the beliefs they are experiencing. They talk, act, move, think, change, and evolve within the confines of the group, as they perfectly desired. By virtue of your existence, you are and have a unique energetic signature in all of creation. We call this energetic uniqueness your core frequency, which is also your connection to the infinite energy of life and all that is. It is this energy that creates these beliefs, which creates this reality, for as long as you choose to be resonant with these frequencies. As you can imagine, it takes a great deal of constant updating to maintain the experience of limitation against such an incoming flow of the infinite. This is why and how the billions of times per second speed was created. As new energy pours in, which is inherently life-giving and limitless, it is molded, molded, molded by your belief system complex into the experience you here perceive. A balance is always maintained between new energy coming in and the disallowance of energy with which these frequencies resonate, meaning the belief system complex is always dynamic, evolving, and constantly being updated. Let us walk through this process in detail. A player resonates with the frequencies of disallowance of energy and enters this vast BSC, which broadly represents finiteness and insufficiency. That player chooses a level at which to play. Perhaps they believe in time, but not in body or distance. Perhaps they believe in time, body, and distance, but not prevention or protection, which are more exacerbated experiences of finiteness and insufficiency. Perhaps that player chooses to resonate all the way down here at these frequencies of the five senses BSC, where they believe in time, body, distance, loss of control, prevention, protection, and so much more and can only perceive energy by way of five senses out of infinite possibilities. Welcome to Earth, you would say. Now that they resonate with you in your group, that player begins to experience this version of reality. We may even apply a squeak, our teasing term for your very, very specific physical sounds to represent words and concepts, to this player. You might give them a name. 
But for the sake of our example, let us call them 2T for player number 2 trillion. Player 2T enters the game just like you all did, as a baby. Thus, already 2T is participating in the beliefs about time, body, and distance. 2T also needs nourishment from a mother. Thus, 2T is already participating in giant swaths of beliefs about insufficiency and loss of control. The second 2T arrives, that infant will likely cry, a powerful demonstration of a perception of the energies of disallowance. Yet 2T is not exactly like an adult yet, as you may well perceive. This player does not yet have gray hair, cannot form squeaks and whistles for all the foods they like and hate, does not yet have piles of manifested thoughts about their career and identity, or piles of preferences about their spirituality. 2T is not like an adult. So what's the difference between the infant game player and the adult game player? From our vantage point, not much. But we understand that from your vantage point, it is enough of a difference to constitute the vastness of a lifetime. Infant 2T is simply on a slightly different wavelength of your group than you are. That's it. A 90-year-old, a 70-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an infant are all members of your group though on ever so slightly different frequencies of this most particular five senses BSC. And we would suggest that the 10-year-old is on a slightly more disallowing frequency than the infant. The 30-year-old is on a slightly more disallowing frequency than the 10-year-old, and so on. What of your infants who appear to arrive with great limitation, such as physical impairment or disease? These are powerful creators who have fast-tracked, you might say, to a frequency of disallowance that is much stronger than the typical arrival point for your kind. We would suggest that these master players are not new arrivals. It is not easy to jump to that kind of entry point on your first round of the game. As 2T continues to progress through these frequencies, they play by all the rules of the game. They are bound by gravity and are fascinated as things drop to the ground. They are bound by energy expenditures and begin the experiences of depletion and restoration, napping and waking. Perhaps most especially, they are surprised. Cut off from their infinite perception of energies, they are rattled by the blender, dogs barking, their father's loud sneezes, bright colors, temperature changes, gas in their belly, and the long, long list of things that suddenly arrive in your five senses perception based upon your goals for your experience here. They do not yet have access to the frequencies of names for these things, which from our vantage point would be even more limiting, more specific. They also are not yet resonant with vast belief systems about how and only how these things work, which we would also suggest are more binding, are more limiting. As we mentioned in the first book, one of the more powerful ways the players here maintain the structure of the game against the incoming flow of pure energy is that you all experience manifestation by way of the beliefs, but then also build beliefs by way of that experience. 
This constantly reinforces the structure of the game. That is, constantly evolves the limitation of the game in a balance against the constantly evolving expansive energies of creation. Let us take an example of this with two teeth. Even infants are subject to the majority of limited beliefs of your BSC. What they perceive and experience is a reflection of this. For example, being subject to the mass belief in gravity, infants will have experiences of their toy falling off their high chair tray while they wait for their mom to bring their food. As they stare down at the floor in wonderment, a belief unknown to them has just been built on this experience. We might say this belief is, if I don't hold things up, they will fall down. This belief is then instantly uploaded into the fabric of the game. Unbeknownst to a player on the other side of the world, their experience of gravity has just been reinforced by that new arrival. In fact, it is reinforced by all new arrivals, by all babies, watching their toys drop to the floor worldwide in that moment. In fact, it is also reinforced by all players who observe those babies dropping their toys to the floor. In fact, it is reinforced by all players who watch anything else fall. Their toothbrush, their car keys, raindrops, who then also build beliefs based on the perception of those manifestations billions of times per second. Are you beginning to sense the vastness of the machine of limitation you have constructed here? It is a marvel. Still, baby 2T is not as limited as a 90-year-old, and you may notice instances with your young children in which they seem to perceive or know things far beyond their years or classic five senses perception. You are right in this perception. Also, there are different players with different purposes of experience here. Still, we would point out that while you marvel at the connection of your youngest from time to time, from our vantage point, they are still right next to you on the frequencies of finiteness and limitation. If you marvel at your infants, who are on an ever so slightly less limited frequency than you, Think how much you will marvel at yourselves as you awaken to your true capacities in infinite flow. Chapter 3. Physical Resonance Let us continue following 2T through their lifetime in order to understand how they contribute to and agree with the consensus-driven reality. We are about to get a little more specific about how players do this in a physical, that is a five senses perceivable, way. We do this to assist you in awakening and in bringing to consciousness your own expansion beyond these very specific frequencies of limitation. Keep in mind that the more specific we are about your day-to-day experiences, the more your individual beliefs will be activated. If you feel friction as you read these words, observe it lightly. It is nothing less than the sensation of your existing frequency and the frequency which you are moving toward, and your consciousness oscillating between the two, your consciousness expanding to hold the two. It is awakening. This sensation will evolve over time. 
In our first book, we briefly described our perception of your five senses. Generally, sight and sound are frequencies of an imminent experience that you are moving toward and are about to experience. Smell, taste, and touch are frequencies of current resonance, that which you are presently experiencing. However, we also pointed out that from our vantage point, these things are so close to each other that really we might say your five senses perception is a very limited experience of energies that you are directly on top of. There is so much you do not perceive. You do not perceive your friend when they walk into a different room. You do not perceive your backsides or what is inside your ears. You do not perceive someone sneaking up behind you. You do not perceive things in the dark, etc. This was by choice and by perfect design. You may have wondered, but why? Why just these five senses and why do they work this way? We know you have manifested explanations for these things in your reality. For example, that your eyesight aligns beautifully with the wavelengths of light emitted by your star. But based on the design of the game itself, why are these five senses a perfect embodiment of your participation here? Because the five senses are a perfect expression of your participation in the consensus-driven reality. Come a little closer to our frequencies and let us begin by generalizing your five senses just a bit. You all have narrowed them down into very, very specific points on your mind-body instruments. Eyesight being located in the eyeballs, smell being located in the nose, etc. While you allow for the idea that those body parts are integrated into a whole that processes the information, your conception of the sense itself is in some ways standalone. Your conception of the self is broken into pieces. Instead, let us imagine for a moment that your mind-body instrument is simply a dynamic collaboration between the beliefs you hold and the manifestations of those beliefs. In this cycle, beliefs mold the energy into the experience of a body and experiences of the game with that body build beliefs and on and on and on and on. It is fluid, it is flexible, and it is constantly evolving. You can see how were you to hold different beliefs, your mind-body instrument would change. The dynamic creative power of these beliefs might alter eyesight or your posture or even that you have a humanoid frame at all. You can also see how were you to hold very, very similar beliefs as others, your manifestation of a body might look alike. Thus, as humans go, how much alike would you say that you all look? You argue over skin color and the judgments you are convinced others are making based on that perception. From our vantage point, you all have skin. You argue over your countries of origin and the nationalities from which you hail. From our vantage point, you all have heads. Basically, the same heads. You hear differences in tone, in dialect, and feel that another is very different from you. From our vantage point, you all have mouths 
and you have to put food into those mouths or somehow into your bodies. Do you know how many things you have collectively eaten in your millennia here? You see differences, and we understand that. But can you see our vantage point in which your species, as you would call it, is basically the same manifestation over and over again? In a sea of infinite creation, you all wear pants. You all wear pants. And here we know you would say, not all of us. Some of us do not wear pants. We wear skirts. At which point your belief systems would be responding perfectly to our pressing on the edges of the limitation of your collective agreements. Play the game, we would say. Is it not incredible that while to us you seem so limited and alike, you still perceive what you might consider to be important, perhaps critical, differences within this limitation? Let us talk about mirrors for a moment. For, though extremely specific, your interactions with your own reflections are powerful experiences of your own belief systems. Early in our interaction with the bridge builder, the author who is here constructing our concepts, we would teasingly call her bathroom the box of limitation. For each morning in the bathroom, unbeknownst to her, she was activating billions of times per second immense oceans of beliefs in finiteness and insufficiency. In part, she understood us, for she recognized that the bathroom was a top location for self-scrutiny. She analyzed her weight as she got into the shower or put on her clothes. She scrutinized her wrinkles or the way her hair fell as she looked in the mirror, and so on. Left to its own devices, her mind would judge, judge, judge herself for the length of time she remained in that room. She found that shortening her time in the bathroom could modify that judgment. She found that if she moved very, very slowly and monitored her thought process, that she could modify it. And these were important, conscious experiences of awakening. Yet it still always seemed like an uphill battle. Why couldn't her mind adore instead of assess all on its own? Why did it require such vigilance? It started to feel futile. What she did not know was that she was building and reacting to beliefs billions of times per second as a player in a consensus-driven reality. One trick that began to work better than the others, however, was covering up her mirror so she could not see herself. This was both a relief and frustrating. She could not judge her hair and face if she could not see it, and that was a pleasant way to start the day. Yet at the same time, how could she know if she looked good without an image to judge? Essentially, what she had found was a way of softening her participation in the consensus-driven reality. If, as you will recall, the perception of a manifestation builds beliefs which update the consensus, then slowing the perception, the interaction with those manifestations, can ever so slightly soften an individual's connection to the dynamic action of the belief system complex. Softening focus on something on any manifestation in your five senses reality, is a way of gently releasing participation in your belief systems. 
The reason this softening of focus works is because in its place, you are instead expanding your attention to the present moment. You are having the experience of choosing your larger perspective. To recognize, to have the perception of that narrowed focus, to prefer to not experience that, to release it, you are instead choosing something broader, very, very gently. In the first book, we spoke at length about the difference between focus and attention. Focus is the rebuffing or narrowing of the perception of energies down to the limitations of the mind or the embodiment of the five senses BSC. Attention, meanwhile, is expansion into your furthest possible conscious perception of energies. When someone shouts, pay attention, you do not squint and narrow your view, your hearing to something specific. Rather, you pull your head up, look around, and open to receive any number of perceptions. In the example of the mirror being fully focused, that is, narrowed, on the way your hair follicles are lying on your head each morning feels very different than being attentive, that is, expansively perceiving all the glory of a radiant morning and everything occurring in that moment. Focus, scrutiny, and judgment are all activations, heady participation in the five senses BSC. Softening your activation of these things, particularly in terms of what you choose to give your attention to, is akin to stepping outside of this BSC just for a moment. Much like love, which by energetic definition is the cessation of participation in this belief system complex. It is easier to feel love when you are not actively judging something, is it not? Choosing to release the analysis is a conscious experience of navigating energy. It is a step in the direction of love. It is a step in the direction of newer, more allowing beliefs. The reason why softening what you look at in particular works so well is that it is one of your top methods of physical resonance in your kind. We will explain. Just as your physical instruments, your bodies, are perfect reflections of your participation in a consensus-driven reality in your collective five senses BSC, there are logically ways in which your physical instruments reinforce your belief systems. We have spoken about this at length here and in the first book, but now we're getting a little more specific. Each manifestation, including that of your bodies, is subject to the filtering of energy through your belief systems, and the perception of those manifestations builds beliefs in your BSC. It reinforces them, much like 2T dropping their toy to the floor. However, does 2T use physical words to notify a player on the other side of the world that they have just reinforced the concept of gravity? No, they do not particularly as 2T has still not mastered squeaks and whistles nor the use of a cell phone. What other manifestation is there then? What reflects your capacity to update each other on the beliefs you hold? Something that lies somewhere between the speed of billions of times per second and the slowness of a phone call? Beloved, there are many layers in between to which you have been very purposely, very perfectly 
unconscious. Your bodies are an energetic continuum. Some among you have perceived information about this continuum, have even named other more expanded layers of your instruments. We do not disagree with these other names and concepts, for they are all perfectly adequate beliefs that reflect an expansion. As with all beliefs, however, they are reflections of an energy. The belief itself is the output, and as beliefs evolve, those outputs may too. Thus, there is no single hard and fast definition about how you work, even more so as you expand, as in doing so, you will each reconnect to and reflect more and more of your fundamental uniqueness. Thus, one human's expansive body may look different than another's. Still, these concepts for now have broad applicability, and as such, we would like to contribute our perspective to your growing conceptions of your own selves. There is a function of your mind-body instruments beyond what is currently perceived by your five senses that we would call physical resonance, the reverberation of and alignment to a given set of beliefs. Your alignment is carried out by way of what we would describe as three systems. One, sight resonance. Two, sound resonance. Three, spinal resonance. We use these more specific terms for the benefit of your conscious awakening, though from our perspective, to say that your instruments resonate is sufficient without needing to break it down further. Let us begin with sight resonance. There is a shared energy that dictates and updates what you collectively see. Your eyesight, your eyes, if you prefer to be that specific, is actually a shared resonance of perception among members of your game. It is a perfect reflection of everything to which you have agreed. As we have noted before, if you are standing in front of a being who is slightly more expanded than your specific beliefs, than your specific frequency, you will not perceive that being, as that perception would violate the rules of finiteness of your game. Physically, you cannot see much further than the group consensus of how far eyesight should reach. In fact, there is much in your day-to-day -day existences that you do not see, do not consciously recognize. You do not look at your home each day, do you? You have seen it all before each day. Instead, you perceive what you are moving around, what needs to be picked up, what is out of place, and sometimes what you love. Do you really look at all the scenery on your same commute to and from work each day? Not often. Instead, you see the parts of your commute with which you interact, lights, cars, pedestrians, etc. And often, you do so while daydreaming. Each player of this game sees the parts of his or her home, commute, family, friends, and all the activities of the day with which they interact, or we might suggest, with which they are driven to interact by way of the judgments and beliefs that are activated billions of times per second as they move through the game board. Your eyesight is not an individual sensory perception. It is a resonance, a reflection of your participation in a consensus-driven reality. Moreover, just as with all manifestations and the perception of them, 
What you see is used to update the matrix of beliefs in which you participate. A physical reflection of this is the way in which you all make eye contact. When you look into each other's eyes, you are demonstrating the fact that you are of the same wavelength. In so doing, you are communicating with each other, sharing and reinforcing with each other the most up-to-date version of that wavelength and the corresponding vast, immense belief system complex. Have you ever wondered what all the fuss is about with eye contact? Why you all do it with every other member of the game you meet all day long? You are remaining in sync with the version of the game you are playing. Why you do not trust someone who will not make steady eye contact? They are not updating their beliefs in the same way, and you may sense this ever so slight difference in individual beliefs. Why, with a new and strange manifestation, there are at first only a few who see it before it is gradually caught, captured, perceived, recognized, and acknowledged by others? This is a perfect reflection of the gradual integration of a new quadrant of the BSC, first perceived by a few whose perceptions build beliefs, which are then perceivable, believable, by other game players. How, when you are in love, you spend long hours gazing into each other's eyes, it is a perfect reflection of deep resonance. How, when you do not like something, or are disgusted by it, you may avert your eyes. You experience a natural downshifting of resonance with the manifestation, which, by your beliefs, you think lessens its impact on or risks to you. How, when a toddler doesn't want to hear what you are telling him or her, they will look away from you? This is a natural reflection of her conscious unwillingness to join you on your frequency, which is typically more limited. How it is easier to not judge yourself when you do not see an image in the mirror to judge it all? This demonstrates a conscious recognition of belief activation by way of eyesight. How, when most humans pass a reflective surface, they will look at themselves even unconsciously? A demonstration of the unconscious activation of beliefs which evaluate the self and update connections to limitation. You have many stories amongst your kind of great spiritual luminaries who spent long years away from society before returning enlightened. Examples of many who resigned themselves to live in caves, alone and isolated, in order to reach a more expansive place. Or who today live in monasteries and convents, your modern-day version of the cave. What did they do in all that time away from the world besides sit in silence? Why did they have to be away from everyone in order to achieve enlightenment? Energetically, what was happening in that cave? Quite simply, these luminaries had a conscious experience of softening their participation in the five senses belief system complex by way of reducing their physical resonance with other players of the game. They did not see others, hear others, or touch others. In a way, whilst in the caves, they built ever so slightly different belief systems. After they came down from the cave, enlightened, they were re-perceived by other players of the game in an allowed manifestation of the group consensus. 
there are also those who went to the cave and built different beliefs that were a little too outside the rules of this game. Accordingly, they were no longer perceived or remembered by players of your game. Physical resonance is an important way of maintaining the balance in the system between incoming energy and the experience of disallowance. It is your ability to rapidly update each other on your lifetime experiences to keep all members of the game in step with the core values of limitation that define this BSE as the specific beliefs change and evolve. Said another way, you are constantly downloading and sharing with each other the most up-to-date version of the game. This happens unconsciously all of the time. As you saw in the examples above, eyesight is not simply a sharing of these frequencies, it has nuance. It can reflect beliefs, resonance, updating, wavelength, and more. You get a lot done each time you look or don't look into another's eyes. What could we say to you that would define these things in your perception? Could we say that when the iris dilates slightly, it means this? When you widen your eyes energetically, it means that? We could. And it would only take a few million more years and many, many books to define these things. But instead, it might be more effective to point out that there are more rapid ways to perceive this. You have other tools at your fingertips, energetic tools, that would tell you all of these things in an instant. No more scrutinizing, no more thinking. No more unconscious subjection to the dynamic action of this belief system and all of its machinations. You are becoming conscious to what your participation in this most amazing, most profound experience of limitation has been. You are awakening. And in a similar movement, you are stepping into your capacities of knowing. Chapter 4 what we feel as we expand. In the first book, you didn't hear from me, the author, until the very end. That was an important part of the energetic structure of that work, to immerse you fully in the course's perspective before bringing it down to earth, as we might say, with my energy at the end. Now that process, that oscillation will be speeding up, so you'll be hearing from me a little more often. Over the years, I've learned to recognize two relatively consistent responses to the perspectives of the chorus. First, that makes so much sense. And second, what the beep? The former ranges from a fulfilling sense of fit to a euphoric uplift of a consciously expanded perspective. The latter ranges from a fluttery sense of risk to a bottomless fear of the unknown and what it all might mean. It is no coincidence that the chorus kicked off a book about remembering by addressing our process and context for creating meaning. Before you remember a great many things, it might be helpful to consciously understand how you will integrate those things, but we'll get to that. At the tail end of this last chapter, they basically just let us know in their loving and gentle way that everything we see is a construction of this game of our participation in a shared belief system. Everything. Meaning, we may not actually know what creation is truly like. We can only see a lifetime of different aspects of the limitation we came here to experience. 
We have been voluntarily blindfolded, staring at the inside of the blindfold and thinking that was all that is. And here we've come into contact with beings beyond the blindfold, gently suggesting to us that our known existence has been the inside of the blindfold. If you were to say it very specifically, our eyes are the blindfold. That makes so much sense. And also, what the beep? This feels logical, compelling, and expansive, and also constricting, confining, and out of our control. And that is because it is both. In the first book, the Course spoke at length about our existing belief system complex, which they call the five senses BSE, and also a new belief system complex, which some of us are building and moving into. For a time, this time, to be exact, we are experiencing and oscillating between the perspectives of both. This is their definition of awakening, the conscious experience of expanding from a point of limitation. Any and all reactions you have to this new information are completely, infinitely, and perfectly valid. You could be unnerved by it or uplifted by it, and likely you will alternate a little bit between both. This is your shifting between two belief systems, the five senses BSC, which creates a perspective of risk, lack of control, and the need to prevent, and the new BSC, which contains beliefs that allow for greater and greater perceptions of ourselves. As I've interacted with the chorus over the years, I've had the opportunity to ask them many different questions and to come to know and understand their different perspectives. I have very gradually gotten better at recognizing the differences between distinctive members of this group. One evening, I was introduced to a collective of new members who were able to express to me that they also function in a similar way to humans in that you might be able to encounter a one and also the many. In speaking to the aspect of their collective, the many, I asked how I would know when meeting an individual if that individual were malicious. I expected a response, something along the lines of there are good ones and bad ones and this is how you will know. Instead, as usual, the answer became a new perspective on why I would ask the question itself. They told me that none of their individuals are malicious and that malice is something that only we experience by way of our beliefs. They described to me three beliefs we hold that specifically contribute to our perception and experience of malice. One, that harm can inflict itself on me without my conscious wanting, e.g. I did not want to be in that car accident. Two, that others can truly wish ill on others, e.g. psychopaths, ruthless actors, and more. Three, that fundamentally the design of reality includes good and evil. By contrast, they do not experience malice because they do not partake in these beliefs. They shared three beliefs which they hold instead. One, there are no unwished for events. All events will arrive in my perception only if it is a perfect rendezvous with my path of greatest expansion. Two, there are none who are fundamentally evil. They are simply experiencing the physical expression 
of a belief system. Three, the reality of good versus evil is a manifestation of the physical dimension. It is not a fundamental law of creation. In fact, they went so far as to tease me about this idea of good and evil and suggested that it is a well-known funky quirk of the physical dimension, much appreciated by those outside of our dimension. Over and over again, the clarity I sought was given to me by the chorus, not in an expanded understanding of them, but in a new expanded perception of myself, of why I was even motivated to ask the questions I did. In asking a preventative question of how I would know and avoid, individuals among them who are malicious, I was given a perspective on why I experience evil in our world at all. I'll be honest, after years of these Q&A sessions in which my perspective was consistently blasted out of the water and replaced with something bigger and broader, it's no surprise to me that everything we see with our eyes is the result of our beliefs of limitation. We embody so much more of these things than we have yet realized. And we have been unconscious to all of this, as was part of the design of the game. Let's get back to why they kicked off a book about remembering with the topic of meaning. So many of us feel our own readiness to be aware of more, to know more, and to do more. We feel that we're right on the cusp of an important expansion. and this is true. Yet in experiencing more of what's out there, we will inevitably shift our perceptions of ourselves. The first time you stand toe-to-toe with another being and ask it how you might know if it's evil, the answer will reflect to you why you needed to ask this question. Why do you believe that a being could be evil? That a human could be evil? That you could be evil? The meaning you apply to this and every encounter is the way in which you will build your new belief systems. It becomes the fundamental underpinning of a new identity and the way of existence that you will create for yourself. It might be helpful to consciously know how this works before you stand toe-to-toe with a great many new beings. When the chorus has spoken about a new BSC, it might now feel logical to you how you might have perceived this concept from the five senses perspective, meaning this BSC will be a cluster of beliefs we will all play in, though much more expanded. And this is true. However, there is another equally valid perspective that holds that this new BSC is much more vast and much more loose than our current BSC. In fact, so vast that there will be space enough for different beliefs for each player. Meaning, we are not just moving into a new collective. We are building our own beliefs out of the collective and into our unique individuality. The pathways we build from here are up to each of us to decide. The expanded part of you will feel exhilarated by this news. The five senses part of you will want to know how that will all work out. You're seeing the distance you will cross from both sides, from the side you are coming from and the perspective of not knowing how it can possibly be done and from the side you've moved towards, 
where you look back and see all that you have experienced and bear witness to the beauty of everything that was always assured to unfold. Recall to your mind the energetic universe and how all things exist well before we perceive them on our limited five senses spectrum. Do manifestations appear out of nowhere? Or have we simply been unaware of the gradual progression we have made through frequencies as part of the incredible design of this game? Is it not perfect that you are consciously evolving your system of creating meaning before such time as that conscious understanding will be called upon? Are you not already beautifully moving along these expansive bridges of light? We have all been awakening for a very long time. There is a part of you that knows this is true, that feels the rightness of this energy. What is that part? Where does that sense come from? What would it tell you if you could hear it more clearly each day, despite the noise of work, children, family, the news, school, all the busy noise of an active mind? This, my beloved friends, is what you are about to consciously discover. Thanks so much for listening to our audiobook sample for the Book of Human Remembrance. To purchase a copy, visit Amazon, Apple Books, and many other providers, or visit katieandthechorus.com backslash book for a list of all retailers. Thanks again. See you next season.